As noted, part of our Missionary uh, Sunday uh, events, we have two missionary folks, sets of folks with us. Uh, you've met the Wilsons in Japan, and now we're about to have uh, Jeff Borden come up. He is, has a special ministry for many years now, well over 20, I think. You can tell us more detail of that. But it's especially strategic in that it's uh, with teaching Africans who will teach Africans. So he's kind of the focus point for a Bible uh, uh, immersion program to the Africans who then go as nationals to their fellow men. Jeff, come and share with us a little bit about your ministry and this, uh, the morning sermon. We would appreciate it. Thank you. Good morning, everyone, and good morning again for some. It's a privilege to be with you. I want to uh, extend, first of all, I want to extend our thanks for all the years Grace Covenant has partnered with us. It's actually been about 26 years, Ron. We lost track, uh, and uh, me as well. Uh, and uh, hard to believe it's been that long, but we're so uh, grateful for your partnership over the years. And I want to extend greetings from our family. Uh, my wife, Patty, sends greetings. She's uh, under the weather. And uh, speaking of that, I uh, appreciate your continued prayer for health concerns uh, in our family, particularly for myself. Uh, but I don't want to elaborate on that uh, this time, but thank you for your prayers and care for us. Uh, greetings from my wife and also from from our children. Our uh, son Daniel is now 33 and is a Christian counselor in Harrisonburg, Virginia. And we're grateful for how the Lord has uh, led. He's back uh, near us and uh, has a family. Um, and uh, greetings from, from him. And uh, Matthew, our son, is now 28, our second son. He's uh, down at the University of Florida doing postgraduate school enrollment uh, in plant science. And uh, greetings from Lydia. She's 21 and still at home. It's just finished community college and working. Um, so we're uh, grateful. We're all grateful for you as part of our larger family. Thank you. And uh, thanks for partnering with us through MTW. And then I was... Uh, for many years, uh, about the last seven, eight years, I was uh, Africa coordinator for Miami International Seminary, which was a real privilege. Uh, and that was a very non-traditional model. And then last year, we were asked to become the director of the ministry that Ron mentioned called Africans Teaching Africans. And it's been uh, my privilege to serve as director. Well, what, what's that about? Well, I want to talk to you about Nigeria first and what uh, is a specific case study what are Nigerians facing? What distracts the hearts of Nigerian Christians today? Well, they're under several severe threats. And I'm also saying this to ask for prayer for our Nigerian. A third of our ministry is in Nigeria. Uh, we have 17,500 students in Nigeria in our study and our training program. And uh, the vast majority of them are undergoing severe suffering. From what? Well, first is the Islamic insurgency. I want to read you a quote from our Nigerian coordinator, Dr. Moses George. He said uh, he, was, he goes all over Nigeria to start training centers. We start uh, African, Africans teaching Africans starts in formal training centers in the community, whereas the name suggests always it's always an African teaching a fellow African. No Westerners teaching, and that's intentional. 
and they're always teaching in the heart language, in the local language. Nigeria only has 520 languages, so if you were going to go to Nigeria and, and uh, compromise uh, and try to learn every language, I'm not sure you'd get out of language school. Um, so uh, that's another advantage of Africans teaching Africans, and that's literally true, 520 languages, one country. Uh, now there's 10 major languages, but even learning those would be a bit. But people want to learn the Word of God. One thing I've learned over years, people want to learn the Word of God in their heart language, and they want to read the Word of God in their mother tongue. And uh, by the way, we also help uh, resource our leaders to travel, and we help our students with getting Bibles. We literally have thousands of Christians in Nigeria in our program who don't have Bibles. So that's a big need. But he said this, going to one community to meet with Pastor Akoji. Accessing this community was very difficult and dangerous, not just because of bad roads, but because of the incessant attacks by heavily armed Fulani herdsmen who have killed so many people across Nigeria in recent times. Several villages in this area and in many parts of Nigeria have been burned down completely and hundreds of innocent people murdered in cold blood. This is daily life in Nigeria for believers there, daily life. It's not big on the news, but it's big to them. Literally, uh, we have had students, we have had teachers killed, we have had students killed, uh, entire villages have been wiped out. Basically, if, if the village hears the Fulani herdsmen are coming, they run, and then they burn everything. And that's why a lot of our students don't have Bibles, because everything they own was burned. If they don't, if they don't hear, then that's it. Uh, so that's a huge threat in Nigeria and a daily battle for believers there. Secondly is, and this is going to be a topic today for my sermon as well, the pervasive pr prosperity cult. Literally in Africa, millions and millions of people are being taught lies about our, our God, about God the Father, particularly about God the Son, and about God the Holy Spirit. They're being led astray by false teaching. When I was, the whole time I've been with Mintz and now with ATA, our national leaders who know, what, know what's going on there, I think, better than we all do, our national leaders consistently report that 90 plus percent of the churches in their country are preaching a false gospel. 90, not nine, 90. Two of our leaders have said 99%. They said, you, in many areas, you can't find a church that's uh, preaching the true gospel. And I said earlier, be thankful for your church. Praise God, you're in a church where the word of God is honored, where you're cared for, where the gospel of Jesus Christ is crystal clear. Praise God for that. But please understand, that's not actually the situation for many believers today. Many believers uh, in our context have problems just finding one church that's true to the scriptures and preaching the true gospel of Christ. And some of our people that have come into our program have to plant the church because there's no other church in their, their entire area. And this is true. I've had an African believer tell me in, um, in the city, there's no church in, our, in this city preaching the gospel. Uh, it's an it's a, a amazing, amazing turn of events in Africa. And I say that because... Uh, Many people say, well, what, why, what's the need? Of, the church is so big in Africa. Well, no, it's not. The church in Africa is not big. The church in Africa is actually shrinking. 
when you read about the church in Africa being this 50, that's uh, not, I'm sorry folks, that's just inaccurate. They're counting everything that, that uh, quacks like a duck and moves like a duck is a duck. And uh, that's, that's, this is from on the ground leadership. And a third threat is animism or African traditional religion. There's still a tremendous problem of what we call syncretism in missions in the African churches. There's that pull back to the traditional religions. And by the way, that's one reason the prosperity gospel is so popular. Because in traditional religion, the leader has this excessive power to manipulate the spirit world to get what you want. Well, I just explained the prosperity gospel, didn't I? People say that prosperity gospel is so, so popular because people are poor. Well, that's part of it, but it's so popular because it's really ancient traditional religions wrapped up with in, in Christian clothing, wolves and sheep's clothing. Well, what would happen if a movement began to take the word of God and the true gospel to people from one African to another? What would happen if we went into countries and identified key nationals and not doing the work ourselves, but empowering, equipping, holding up, encouraging, assisting the African leaders to do that work? And then what would happen if they would take, uh, if they would then be in charge, not us, they would be responsible to find teachers and to help equip and build up those teachers who would be teaching others. Well, it kind of sounds like 2 Timothy 2, 2, doesn't it? What did Paul write to Timothy? What did he write? Yeah. In the presence of many God and in, in, in these witnesses, Paul said, Paul said to Timothy to teach uh, to ch- Timothy, he said, the things that I have entrusted to you, these things entrust to or teach faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And we see this progression from Paul to Timothy to faithful people to others also. And that's really the model that ATA uh, enveloped. In fact, ATA, Africans Teaching Africans, only started nine years ago. There was a PCA ruling elder who went over as a, as a retired person and he went to a traditional seminary, which I taught in many years, and the Lord uses that. But he became very disillusioned with how few they were reaching, with the, 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 the small impact they were having in this sea with huge needs. He said, we need another model. We need an informal model that's led by Africans. And he took one Kenyan and one Ugandan who were studying there, and he pulled them aside. When you're getting ready to graduate, let's do a different model. Let's do the model that I've just described. They did. They, he got some, some basic training materials on a, on a low level that people can understand. And he said, let's go from one African to another, always in the local language. Well, that movement that started with two people nine years ago, uh, we now have uh, 2,400 training centers with 2,400 teachers in 16 countries teaching 48,000 people. And I say that not to some kind of boasting about numbers, but to boast about what God's done. And that's 48,000 people who are hearing the word and being taught the word and being shielded from a false gospel and being, uh, being fed the true scriptures and being equipped to teach others. And then the better of those people in those classes, they become teachers for others. And by the way, this works particularly well in rural areas. Many ministries... Because of the nature of that, they focus on the cities. But uh, by and large, people live in rural areas, some of which are very inaccessible. So we are just seeing God's blessing 
on this ministry, and I thank you for partnering with us in that, the privilege that I've had to do that. So I'd like to ask your prayer for the whole ministry, particularly in Nigeria, and if you keep up with weather news, a terrible, terrible cyclone hit Mozambique about a week ago, and it came into Mozambique. It devastated a coastal city. Ninety percent of that city is destroyed. It went over east of uh, central Mozambique. It went into eastern Zimbabwe where we li used to live in 93, 94, 95 back then. It flooded that area so much that, that hundreds of bodies had to be uh, rescued from the, from the mud or had to be exhumed from mudslides. And uh, we have a, a thriving ministry in Zimbabwe and in Mozambique and many of our, many of our people were affected. And, uh, but also many of our people that weren't directly affected have the opportunity to minister to others. So please pray that land of Mozambique, eastern Zimbabwe, other areas we're touched are particularly needy at this time. Many, uh, half a million people, I think, so far have been, uh, it, with the research that's been done, have entirely lost their homes and everything they have. All the crops are washed away. Uh, it's just a devastating situation. So we, co we covered your prayers for that and, uh, and for uh, all the leaders and the teachers. Thank you very much. Um, I would like to shift to the Word of God There's a, and relate that uh, situa our situation in Africa to, to the Scriptures. If you could turn in your Bibles to Matthew 7, and uh, we want to shift to that. And I'd like to read that first and then pray and then proceed. And then I'll explain that unusual looking handout that you have in your bulletin. There's a blue insert there. And uh, permit me from, sh from shedding this, getting a bit. Just set this down there. I, I apologize for that. I, uh, some of you might notice there's a lot less of me than there used to be due to a health problem. And um, I. My body tends to fluctuate a lot more. I get cold and warm <laughs> much quicker. I apologize, but I appreciate your, your sensitivity there. But let's read the scripture, and that's going to be our focus. Matthew, 5, Matthew 7, starting in verse 13. Enter, the first emphatic word in both the English and the original, enter. I'll say why that's so important when we do our overview. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who find it or enter by it, depending on your translation. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Then a major shift. Why? Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce good, bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then. You will know them by their fruits. Now another shift. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not, and in your name, cast out demons? And in your name, perform many miracles? And then I, Jesus says himself, I will declare to you or to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the sand, on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and burst against this house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and burst against that house. And it fell, and great was its fall. Let's just recommit our time in the scriptures to the Lord. Father, we bow to you. We thank you for your word. Thank you particularly from these words, literally from the lips of our Lord Jesus Christ, as recorded by Matthew and is inspired by your spirit. Lord, use this word to feed us this morning and to encourage us in the true gospel of our rock and our king, the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, if you look at the top of the outline, there's a little bit of a what I like to call a helicopter view of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, one thing I've learned in Bible study over the years is when we come to Scripture, it's not just what it says. It's also important to note how it says it. We're very good in our Bible study on word studies and so forth. But when we come back, when we get up in a helicopter and look at the big picture, there's sometimes more there that meets the eye at first. For example, the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is not only wonderful truth, it's uh, artistic beauty. It's a mosaic, an intricately woven and intricately developed mosaic with much artistic beauty, just the way music carries words and makes the words even more special and more meaningful. So let's appreciate that when we think of the Sermon on the Mount. Notice going down, the, notice that the introduction and the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount match. There's a lot of parallels there. We won't look at that now, but there's a short introduction and there's a short in, in conclusion. And the conclusion harkens back to the in, in, introduction. It's like bookends. It's like the author is putting bookends around something to frame it. And then we'll see smaller bookends as we go. But then, as we look across that middle part, we'd like to notice this. There's actually an opening challenge, and then there's a body, and then there's the closing challenge. The opening challenge is particularly very familiar to us, because that's where they, we find those wonderful beatitudes. And then we found, find the challenge culminating that to being salt and light. And that's how those two go together. Where are the Beatitudes supposed to be lived out? Where are kingdom believers supposed to live out those characteristics? They're supposed to live it out by being the salt of the, salt of the world, salt of the earth, and the light of the world. So that's how the Beatitudes and the call to be salt and light go together. In other words, the Beatitudes are in the context of missions. 
They really are. Then when we come to the body of the sermon, there's a real interesting uh, thing there that also sets off the body of the sermon. Jesus mentions, do not came, do not think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. And then the law and the prophets are then mentioned at the end of the body of the sermon. What that does, that provides another envelope. You see that? In our particular focus today, then, he follows that, that framework around ex- the law and the prophets, explaining and exhorting on the true meaning of the law for citizens of the kingdom, and then he proceeds to a closing challenge. And it's the closing challenge that we want to focus on this morning. So let's get down, and now we'll come down the helicopter, and we'll land on the closing challenge. But that just gives us a little picture of where, where we are in terms of this lovely, artistic, beautiful Sermon on the Mount that we treasure very much. And I, in the bulletin, I've called this uh, the battle for the gospel, but I also called it life and death. It's in the boldface there on your outline. Life and death in Matthew 7, 13 to 27, is in complete relationship to King Jesus. I want us to see as we go along with these words that Jesus is used, is, is using how he himself clearly presents that he is the king, that he is the judge of all the earth. And we'll see that echoed as well later in Matthew as we take a peek at Matthew 24 and 25, the uh, Olivet Discourse about the end times. And uh, Jesus uses some similar language there uh, that he uses here. Now, one thing we have that's, that's in the Sermon on the Mount, it's in some of the parables, some of the stories that Jesus told, like the story of the two sons. One thing we see in this particular sermon is we see a lot of what we call wisdom language or wisdom literature. Think of the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, particularly Psalms, of the, Psalms and Proverbs. And what do you have there? Right at the beginning, uh, what do you have in Psalm 1? You have... Uh, you have the, the way of the righteous, and then you have the way of the wicked, and then you have the way of those in the middle. Look, whoops, there is no middle. You have the way of the righteous. This one to make sure you are awake. If you aren't awake, there's Christian caffeine available at the back table there. Um, uh, there's, there's just two. There's the way of the righteous, there's the way of the wicked. Blessed is the man who, and then there's the corollary. We're either under God's blessing or we're under his curse. And that goes right back to the gospel, doesn't it? Uh, Galatians 1. What did Paul say? Cursed is anyone who preaches to you a different gospel than the gospel that he preached. Let him be, let him be a curse. The gospel is what makes the difference between curse and blessing. Life and death in the power of the gospel and in the power of our King Jesus. So in wisdom literature, there's always two, and we'll see that as we go. First of all, there are only two gates. There's only two ways, and thus there's only two groups of people. And what I want us to hearken at here is the first word. This the, What's the first word of the challenge? He said earlier to be salt and light, but now what's the first word there? Enter. And often in Scripture, another thing that we have that's, again, that's the way Scripture says something, uh, is 
the emphatic words are sometimes at the beginning or at the end of a sentence, and that sort of puts the words in neon, neon lights. That's one of the ways scripture would use a yellow highlighter that, that they didn't have back then, through word position, through repetition, uh, to note emphasis. And this word enter just really jumps out at us. Uh, enter by the narrow gate. That's the first emphatic word. And I'd like to parallel this with Matthew 11:28. A few chapters later, Matthew's going to record Jesus saying, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So to enter is to come to Christ. Uh, Hebrews talks about entering the rest. That's the same thing. Let us enter his rest. How do we do that? By coming to Christ. And then he says, let us draw near to the throne of grace that we may find mercy to help in time of need. We sang about that this morning, didn't we? Uh, Behold, how did the words go? Behold your God seated on the throne. Let us draw near to the throne of grace. Who's on the throne? King, our King, Jesus Christ. So to enter is the same as coming to Christ, is the same as entering the kingdom, is the same as entering his rest in Hebrews 4. So that's, that word enter is a very full and pregnant word in the scripture. It's to enter the kingdom. Then he goes on to an explanation. The wide, easy gate or way leads to destruction. And how many find that? Many. Isn't that sad? And we'll see Jesus' heart about this as we look at Matthew 9. We're going to try to stay in, in the book of Matthew for our, for our cross-references, except for the reference to Hebrews that I added in. Um, and then the narrow way leads to life. And this, again, is the polarity. There's only two, there's two, there's two endpoints. There's, there, there's two gates, two ways, two paths, and two destinies. I think of the product, the uh, Pilgrim's Progress, right? Two ways there. Now, there's always voices that are telling us to take the wrong way. And that leads into the next part. Think of Pilgrim's Progress when it comes to this next section. Now, there's a major shift after verse 14. He talks about the, the two ways in verses 13 and 14. All of a sudden, G- Jesus seems to shift topics to false prophets. And now we have a new first word, beware. Why would he tell people at this point, enter, enter, and then why would he say, beware? Beware of the false prophets. You might, we're tempted to say, well, Jesus, you know, you were giving this great discourse on entering the kingdom, but why did you, what led you to switch to the subject of false prophets? Are you on a rabbit trail here? No, how does this relate? This directly relates. Who is telling people in Pilgrim's Progress to go the wrong way? The false prophets, the voices of the world. And that's what the prosperity gospel is doing uh, in 90% of the so-called churches on the African continent. There's those false voices. Don't Don't follow that way, follow this way. And they make the gospel, instead of about Christ, the prosperity gospel is really a gospel of self, isn't it? It's, I want my miracle. I want my Mercedes. I want this. I want that. 
and the prosperity preacher has the secret key to give you that. So if you do what he says and you fill his pockets with money, magic presto, and God in that scenario is treated like an impersonal ATM machine. If you have the right formula and you push the right buttons, the right thing comes out. That's no gospel at all, is it? Except a false gospel and a gospel of self. And that's a gospel that's taking over. So, and how does he describe these false prophets? Are they outside the so-called church, the organized church, or are they within? They come to you in sheep's clothing. On the outside, they use some language that might be attractive. But on the inside, what are they? They're ravenous wolves. And what do wolves do? They eat sheep. They eat sheep. And that's what's happening. This is a life and death scenario. When we talk about a false gospel, just like Galatians 1, this is a life and death scenario. Do we take that seriously enough? I know we have the, fa- the false gospel in America, but we don't have it to the extent of 90 to 99 percent. What would happen if 90 to 99 percent of the churches just completely fell off the radar? No gospel at all. That's what's happening. And on the African continent today, and it's not just Africa, uh, other places as well. Uh, it's like a tsunami that's coming in and drowning the church. And these ministries of true gospel are like beachheads holding back uh, this tsunami. Well, for the sake of time and energy, let's move on uh, to its, to the uh, explanation now. Uh, <clears throat> he explains this by going to the true trees. To, to the trees analogy, we have to look at the fruit. You know, folks, if you study the, the fruit of some of the famous uh, false prophets in the U.S., and by the way, these heresies come from the U.S., and uh, they're exported. Uh, but when you study uh, what some of these people are writing and you study their lives, what do you see? Do you see godliness or do you see ungodliness? Uh, you look at some of these lives and they read like soap prophets. We see that we see that fruit. So the true gospel brings true fruit, good fruit that serves God, and the false gospel. And Jesus tells us to be fruit inspectors. He doesn't tell us just to look at the outside. Uh, oh, we do these miracles and we have these prophecies. And that leads us to the next part. We come in another shift to verse 21. And I called that there are only two destinies uh, decided by the Lord Jesus. So here we have another shift, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. By the way, what's Jesus here here say people will call him? Not just Lord, but Lord, Lord. You notice how Jesus himself is, is, is saying he has all authority. He will carry out the judgment. And we'll look at we'll look at a parallel on that right right now. But he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. By the way, that calls back to your key word, and that defines enter. When he says enter, he means enter his kingdom. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. But then he goes on to say, but he who does the will of the Father, that's the fruit. But many, and that echoes back to the first verse. How many find the wide way? Many. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And now what do they claim? They claim all the outward things. 
did we not prophesy in your name did we not cast out demons did we not perform many miracles and this is exactly what's leading people astray they look at the outward show and they're coming for a show instead of coming to see Christ and his glory they're coming to see leaders in their glory and they're being led astray and he will judge them and then he says I uh, then I will declare to you to them I never knew you depart from me I want you to turn in your Bibles or you can just listen uh, as we go to uh, Matthew 24 and 25 I want to show you how Jesus picks this up later uh, in the book of Matthew or how Matthew picks it up later in his gospel if you go to Matthew 24 what was the situation in Matthew 24 we call that the Olivet Discourse uh, the disciples come to Jesus say tell us what will when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age they want some details when are you going to come back we want to set dates we want to get ready uh, we see that today too don't we now what is amazing to me is the first what's the first thing Jesus answers them with the first thing he says is see to it that no one misleads you for many will come in my name saying I'm the Christ and will mislead many just like Matthew 7 he talked about entering and he said beware now the disciples come they want all the answers he says beware don't be led astray see this is right off the lips of Jesus the very first thing we need to take this very seriously don't we and he's not finished he goes back in verse 11 many false prophets will arise and will mis will mislead many and then he's still not finished he comes back in verse 24 for false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as if so as to lead to mislead if possible even the elect that's scary isn't it but that's what Jesus is telling us the church how the church age will be characterized the battle for the gospel there's only now we can extend that there's only two gospels there's the true gospel and there's all other different gospels and Galatians 1 one brings life and blessing all the others grouped as one bring destruction death and God's curse What's worse than being cursed by God? What's better than being blessed by God? Those are the extremities. And the gospel is the answer for that. But I want you to notice here, to exalt Christ even more, to, uh, to appreciate that he is the divine king, that all judgment is his. Is his. Let's, uh, let's go to Matthew 25, the next chapter. I'd like to read you 30, verses 31 to 34. And uh, this song that we sang, Behold Your God, Seated on the Throne, reminded me of this verse. And, it's, uh, and it's, this verse leads right into missions. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. Behold Your God, Seated on the Throne. And what happens next? And all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
and he will put the sheep on his right, and he'll put the goats on the left. Then the king will come and say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But what does he say to those on the left? Verse 40, let's jump down to 41 for the sake of time. Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me. The exact same words from Matthew 7. Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. I wanted us to see how that echoes in in, uh, Matthew 24 and 25. But what amazes me here is that all this is decided by Jesus. And here's why I want to add something there. Uh, Add something here to the way we normally talk. We normally talk about, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And that's true. I like that. But the fact is, everybody has a relationship to Jesus as the rock. You either have a relationship with him, people either have a relationship with him as the rock of salvation, or they have a relationship with him as the stumbling stone and a rock of offense. But everybody relates to Jesus, either on his terms or on ours, either as sheep or as goats, either through the true gospel or through a false gospel. And even notice, everyone builds on a foundation. Both of them build, so we all build. May we be exhorted to be not only be in Christ, but to, to uh, build on him as our solid rock. I want to close with uh, three simple applications from Matthew 9, uh, because I want to relate this to you. One thing in missions conferences, we, we're, we really appreciate being able to come but we also don't want to just think of missions in Africa or missions in Japan, though we certainly want to think about that, but what about missions next door? And I don't want you to feel left out. I don't want you to think, well, they're doing this, but what about me? No, we're all called to that. We're all called to be that salt and light. And I want to encourage us from, with three simple things. From, four, from two chapters later, Jesus comes back to that. In verse 36 of chapter 9, And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Who's that? That's people who are being led astray. People who aren't being shepherded well like you are. And then he looked upon them with compassion, and then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his, notice, his harvest. The work is not ours, is it? Does he use us? Of course. He delights to use us. Does he need us? No. The work is his. We're his tools, but it's his harvest and the work of his. But what are these three simple applications? I just have three words. Heart, knees, and hands. He looked upon them with a heart of compassion. May I think we all ought to ask the Lord, Lord, give us a heart of compassion. And specifically, a heart of compassion for those you want us to reach out to. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's a family member. May we have the heart and the compassion of Christ. Prayer. Knees. What did he say? He said, pray, beseech, 
pray to the Lord of the harvest. We need to, I want to just encourage us to continue that missions is as it's work, a work of prayer as it is a work of many other things. I want to exhort us to individual and corporate prayer for the spread of the gospel and the work of the growth of the kingdom around the world. So that's knees. And then hands. What's he say? The, uh, the workers are few. We're all to be workers in the harvest. That harvest looks different for all of us. We all have different calling. But God wants to use you where you are. You've not been left out. Uh, he wants to use you. He wants to use your heart. He wants to guide your heart. He wants you to be in prayerful dependence upon him, knees, and hands. He wants, he's got service for each of us. And I want to encourage you in that. This is not just, missions is not just something out there that a few people do. It's something the whole church is called to do. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And he was talking to this whole church. So can I pray for, for us as a body of believers as we close? Let's go.